Hello everybody, and welcome to another episode of Trial by Fire. Um, I thought I'd make things a little bit more interesting for you this week and uh, maybe introduce some ambient sounds and maybe some music in the background. I'm thinking about doing maybe just giving it the the, uh, the podcast a bit of an intro tune. Um, just because every other episode we've had up to this point, it just kind of comes in. Um, and then, I don't know, maybe this will make it sound a bit cooler for you guys. <laughs> I don't know if it makes a difference, but uh, we'll see. Um, my guest this weekend, or this week rather, is uh, Jeremias again, who we had an awesome conversation with in the last episode when we talked with him and Hannah about their dogs. Um, and we figured, you know what, it was really fun to talk. Why not just kind of keep doing some episodes together? Uh, so we decided to sit down um, over, uh, well, actually, it was a little bit lo-fi. I ended up recording my own voice while having him on the phone in my ears and he did the same thing. So uh, the sound is a little bit uh, a little bit punk rock this weekend or uh, this episode. So um, you'll have to excuse that. Um, but uh, we had a really great conversation. We kind of caught up um, after me having time to reflect a little bit about my time up in the north and uh, what it was like up there and did it meet my expectations and likewise. Um, and then kind of talked to Jeremias about his lifestyle up there. I got a real understanding of how they live up there. Kind of just been able to spend a bit more time, time with them on a day-to-day basis. Just, you know, the average normal things that people do while they're up there, while they live up there. And, uh, you know, it was great to get an insight into that stuff. So I think coming at this conversation, I was able to maybe reflect a little bit more and, and ask more, I suppose, uh, informed questions. Um, so that was interesting. But guys, I hope you enjoy the conversation. And uh, yeah, I'm hoping to get Jeremy son more often. I think uh, it could be fun to continue uh, working with him. Uh, but until then, um, enjoy the interview, and I hope to see you guys again soon. We'd end up sitting talking for three hours about, you know, the most, the, the most like nuanced of, of elements about the outdoors. Those kind of, uh, those gymnastics are always fun to to play out. Yeah, for sure. And, and uh, as I was telling you, like the uh, amount of. Uh, outdoors people within the genre that we are sort of um in at the moment there's not that many up here that has the same perspectives as i have and that you clearly have as well so it's always fun to um talk to someone that is sort of understanding of uh, all your crazy ideas and nuances and, and thoughts about the outdoors. My crazy ideas. <laughs> yeah. But no, but it's, it is funny. I mean, you would think, and, and I guess it's maybe it's a, it's a pre uh, or whatever. I don't know what the word is, but maybe it's, it's, it's something that people assume that because people live up in the north that they live in the Arctic or they live in Lapland that they're sort of very bushcrafty or outdoorsy people. And it's not, it's not necessarily the case. Um, a lot of people are just going about their day and it just they just happen to live up there, but they're not particularly interested in, well, maybe some of the nuances that w- I suppose we talk about, you know, in, when it comes to equipment or, um, yeah, clothing, cold, whatever, you know. Right. Like we, we were talking about it before and I, and I was saying that um, a lot of people in, for example, the UK that is doing a lot of skills-based training probably are better 
outdoors men and women than someone living up here because what we have up here is people that are born into it that grew up in in it so they might not be as focused on the majority or the vast majority of not the vast majority the amount of different skills and the amount of different ways of making fire because you just make a fire whether it's with a big lighter or however you just make a fire you don't you don't have the interest in making it in a lot of different different ways so the skills is different up here unless you are really into the for example uh, primitive skills or bushcraft or whichever route you're deciding to go into you still have a lot of those that knowledge just by being born and raised in this area but you might not have as many skills as someone that has gotten this interest from a in an adult age for example and really dives deep into their primal um primitive skills yeah exactly in that that way for sure and i think uh again this was something that we had spoken about when we were in the car but I think when you come at this as an adult and let's say you live in the UK or you live in Ireland or you live in wherever you're from, America, um, coming at things from as an, from an adult's perspective is always a totally different thing where you kind of, you almost want to ramp up the, the, the process or, you know, at right. least at least in my in my experience, whenever I find something that I'm not good at or something that I'm new to, you, you really quickly want to try and get over that sort of that you know that complete ignorance as to what it is that's going on i think you 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 will spend a very concentrated period of time learning those skills whether that's a year or two and i suppose that's completely different than someone who like lives up there or even down here where i am i mean and i'm guilty of it as well knowing that the canoe is there all the time i don't necessarily probably get out on in the canoe that often um Whereas somebody who maybe only gets out once a month or gets to put their canoe on the top of their car and, and get out to a lake, like they are super driven and interested and, and like, you know, they're, they're, they're concentrating on, on honing some skills because they only have a day or two to do it. Whereas if you've got your canoe sitting by your house every day, all day with the lake there, you're kind of like, yeah, maybe I'll go out tomorrow. Right, maybe I'll like go out it. Exactly. It uh, almost becomes more experience-based outing rather than a skills-focused outing, where you have when when you have the constant access to whatever you want to do, you're sort of almost getting a little bit lazy of doing of of learning new things, if you will. Um, of course, that's 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 not necessarily the trait of everyone, but I can definitely see that in myself. Of like I'm, 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 I'm quite okay getting a fire going in winter. I know that I will get one going, but I don't necessarily have as many different ways of getting a fire going as someone, for example, from the UK or Ireland or somewhere else where they have this, uh, very skills focused weekend, like two days, I'm going to hold in on these skills kind of thing. I don't have that. I don't have those skills. So, so there's a lot of people that are so much better than me at right. skills. And then I suppose the, the conversation then is kind of, uh, and I kind of t- spoke to it a little bit at the beginning of the last episode, and it was sparked from a conversation that you and I had, Jeremy, is where it was like, you know, what is the what is the difference between skills versus experience or knowledge versus experience? Um so someone who nece- who might necessarily know those things 
because they only get out you know maybe once or twice a month or they read a lot or they watch a lot of youtube and they're kind of you know they're picking up the the book knowledge so to speak um but maybe don't actually have the experience themselves first-hand experience in those things so let's say navigation for example you can sit and read the the collins Nav ultimate navigation guide and know it know it back to front but if you've never picked up a compass uh, you might not have necessarily have the experience that someone else would have, but you probably, but you maybe you know more about what it is that they're doing, which is a weird, nuanced sort of space to be in, you know. Yeah, def definitely. And we had it the last day when when uh, when you were here and Hannah was planning her solo mountain trip that she is on right now with the with eight of our dogs. We were looking at some maps and the compass, and we started talking about the compass, and you started talking about a system of um, using the compass, which I've never heard of, and I've never utilized that, and still I'm a a what's it called, a certified mountain leader here in Sweden and a, a wilderness guide, but it's just one of those like I never used that method to learn compass skills because I've always had it like a it's it's been it's been sort of ingrained in me from a very young age the how to use a compass so i've never had to apply a a method of learning to that so it was really interesting to hear the one that you were talking about yeah and i guess for people that are wondering it was the paul system so it's the one that um dave canterbury's uh, pathfinder uh, instructors teach and i think the reason why they use that method to teach compass use is because it's maybe a little bit more of a practical, hands-on like um, way of learning how to use a compass in the sense that you very quickly get a first-hand account. I guess that's kind of what we're talking about. You're not having to. You're not really mm. reading something, or you're not really like you know trying to. There's some. There's definitely some some things to remember in terms of like you know how to, you know, red in the shed and all that stuff. But the great thing about Paul mapping. Um, is that well first of all you don't need to have to use a map you don't need to know how to read a map and for a lot of people that can be the kind of the daunting part of navigation because maps if you don't know what you're looking at can be intimidating and confusing but if you're just handed it's a lot of lines going everywhere yeah exactly you're you're worrying, you're talking about you know uh, elevations and and you know which way to you know right. grid references and all that stuff but if all you have to worry about is counting how many steps you take or how many paces you take in like 100 meters, um, write that down. And then based on that, then all you have to remember is that whatever number you're looking for on your on your dial, you dial that in, you point it in that direction and you walk in that direction for however many paces. And just those simple, those few simple sort of rules that you need to learn very quickly make you comfortable with it with a compass and then when you've kind of got that nailed then you can move on to maps but i think obviously the way you probably learned how to read a compass uh, how to use a compass and read a map both from being young but also from your experience with um the outdoor academy in finland and actually i would like to, to kind of talk to you a little bit more about that because i think it's really interesting and i don't know if a lot of people know about it but um i guess it's maybe a more of a trip yeah, it, it, it is Sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say it's probably more of a traditional sort of formal learning when it comes to navigation that you would have gotten with those with those guys. 
Well, yeah, from at the outdoor academy, yeah. But I like I remember in school we had um, uh, what's the English word for it when you're running around in the forest with a compass and need to get to uh, Orient- stations and Orient- market. Or- orienteering. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and that's the yeah. same. Yeah, yeah, it's the same thing. Then um, we had that in school. Right. So it was uh, something. So w- when I was yeah in fourth, fifth grade, something like that, probably. Okay, that's so, so cool. It's not necessarily that we. That is a traditional skill necessarily appear in all families. Um, it 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 ju- there, there's a, as many nuances of people appear as it is as it is in any bigger city, of course. Mm-hmm. But I learned the compass from that, and then also being in the mountains and having to figure it out with a person that knew, of course, what they were doing. But then standing there and then and learning it, and right. that's of course a a quite a cool privilege to be able to be standing in the Swedish mountains and it's like, all right, take a compass course that way. Yeah. And then you follow it and you get there and then you reverse it. And you know, all those like going from a, or coming from a, a young age and learning it, how to do it that way for me was very beneficial. And, but I, but I'm also super impressed at the different systems there are, to teach people that might not have had that luxury of being taught in that way. Right, right. It's just I don't, I don't, I don't know them because I've never had to yes. delve into those kind of systems either. No, that makes but sense. But they're really cool. Yeah, yeah. No, palm palm mapping is fantastic. And if anybody on here is maybe new to navigation or they haven't heard about it or haven't seen uh, what it is, it's P A U L. It's it stands for Positive Azimuth Uniform Layout. And as I said, it's a method that. Um, Dave Canterbury teaches on his Pathfinder class and and I suppose the beauty of it is that once you kind of get it down and you start writing down your coordinates you can essentially map your own trail out so if you're in a in a in your local forest and you might not necessarily have a map of that forest what you can do is when you get really proficient at it you can essentially self map your entire area and you can kind of maybe put down markers on your page as to you know, maybe there's water here or maybe this, you know, there's some fungi I want to go back and look at over here or I'm going to return there in the spring because blah, blah, blah. And particularly if you're working with a large area, like maybe you have your own land or something. Um, it's just a really cool way of being able to uh, self-map and map out your own space to the point where you can actually then physically draw uh, onto a page. You can basically transpose your pace count and your and your direction uh onto a page to the point where you can yeah it's kind of like a primitive version of like google maps i guess or like you know when you can like those running apps that basically track your <laughs> track your right. uh, your course it's essentially like you're doing that yourself you know which is i think it's it's a pretty cool thing once once it clicks you're like oh man this is like you know it's like figuring out a, like a formula and, and when you're in maths class as a, as a kid just be like right i get it now cool this is starting to make sense so x is right cool cool and and i think that reward system is is addictive you know it can be very fun and and i do recommend that anybody who's wanting to look at trying to get into navigation they should check out palm mapping it's it's a it's a fun thing to do kids can do i it mean too. i'm i'm uh i'm definitely gonna look into it you had me at the uh being able to trail out your own 
map or uh, what's it called here on draw out your own map yeah. where the uh, water hole is or where the uh, yeah exactly is that you want to come and pick later like now of course the the snow is melting so everything is going to start to come back to life and i know that there are some spots and, and i know by heart where they are right. um some ferns and things like that yeah. to pick this spring but it would be a fun exercise, just mental exercise, and, and look into that system a little bit more of mapping it out from the place where we live here and then just walking down to uh, where the stuff is that I want to forage. Yeah, I think it would be absolutely perfect for you guys. It's exactly, I mean, you guys take kilometers and miles worth of trail. I suppose the only thing you have to think about then is how do you pay, track your pace count if you're on dogs or if you're using the dogs because it's obviously not a step or you know two steps no, this would this would be uh me walking myself uh-huh. down there right right yeah uh, it's perfect just, just as a fun exercise down to you know, being able to uh, pick some uh, i think it's called ferns cool i mean uh, that would be again it's perfect for you particularly at this time of the year when the snow's gone you can find these things that are under the snow so then theoretically when the snow does come back you would be able to pick out that exact spot based on you know well, it was definitely under here because based on my pace count and my coordinates, this is exactly where it was. Hannah had a new video up there. I think it was just like six or seven minutes on uh, the seeds and stuff because you guys obviously plant all, pretty much all your own fruit and veg, right? Well, if, if not vegetables. What's the what's the process involved? Oh, yeah, that's a uh, whole different beast of itself. If you ever thought that dogs were a lot of work, then this whole pre summer being able to plant everything out in the garden um plant dance is what hannah calls it since everything is of course with plant dance, plant dance yeah <laughs> we uh, or she is the the mastermind behind all this part of uh, what we do here okay. and uh, basically we put seeds in we start them early um some of the stuff that we have but since everything is still snowy outside and it can get cold, we can't have things outside whatsoever. And since our growing season is quite short compared comparatively to the to the more southern parts of Sweden and, and just the world in general, I guess, we uh, have mm-hmm. to maximize the amount of light and the amount of sun that they get, really. So we've been... Last year, we, we took... Every morning, it was a little job to get all of the plants and seedlings out into the garden just ha- or in, in, on, onto the uh, deck outside the house, let them be there during the day, and then take them back in in the evening. Okay. <laughs> and once they get, you know, of course, they get grow bigger and bigger every day. So it just got heavier and heavier. And then, you know, you're talking about, I think now she planted 100 20 seedlings or something like that so in the end it's quite a lot of stuff to carry back and forth yeah it's a lot of work but i guess the reward system of being able to grow your own freaking peas and and whatever like you know just herbs and and vegetables i mean i remember my mom had a vegetable garden when we were teenagers uh she just took a plot in the back garden and just started growing like rhubarb and cabbage and kale and it was just so cool to be able to i mean i guess you know that's it's kind of sad isn't it when that seems like a novelty because we're just so used to going and buying like a head of cabbage in tesco or you know in our local 
eco or whatever that right the novelty of picking your own fruits and veg out of your garden is 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 so lost you know yeah yeah yeah, definitely it is and it's it is extremely satisfying to go and pick the stuff that you've grown during the summer season but it's also just as frustrating when you realize that oh man this year again we did not plant enough of peas for example sugar snaps is one of those types of peas that you think you every every year you think that you've grown enough but they are so tasty when they are not you know fully grown so mm-hmm. you go and you take a couple every now and then every day <laughs> and then all of a sudden when it's harvest time it, you, you don't have anything left, left. <laughs> no so it is one of those things like to be able to be sort of fully self-sustainable you need to have discipline and a shit ton of plants right right okay and land to put and it on we have we, we have uh, either at the moment right now we're just enjoying the process and and uh trying to offset a little bit of of the of our food cost with growing our own stuff of course yeah and i mean even when i was there with you when we had dinner i mean you made hamburgers from was it reindeer moose ground reindeer meat moose meat and then you know hannah made buns and then you know there was i mean i'd say what 60 percent of that meal was your own stuff like yeah something like that yeah so there's like meals that we can get very very high percentage in what's ours but man it's a it's a whole different different beast in trying to be completely self-sustainable on things i mean it it needs to be fun as well like we we talked about it not too long ago where like you we probably could with a lot of uh, blood sweat and tears be self-sustainable to a certain degree but then it needs to be fun as well like since we're living in in the times that we're living in we're just doing this for the fun of it and for the enjoyment of being able to produce your own food and you know living close to the land and living off the land in some cases but we don't necessarily need to there's there's nothing in this society that says all right you need to grow your own potatoes now you need to have 150 kilos of potato in your basement it's just it's just our own head and our own sort of idea of what we want to do that is putting that in motion so we need to also be a little bit humble and um, nice to ourselves i guess in all right it's okay to buy a bag of carrots because we didn't have enough or you know all those things like it, it still needs to be reasonable more than most people are able to do or are willing to do in terms of like offsetting their own i mean your carbon footprint must be absolutely minuscule like you chop all your own wood you cut down your own trees you hunt your own meat 90 i would say most of your meat is probably your own meat um just j- judging by your freezer uh you know you grow yeah. you, you grow all your own vegetables i mean well as you said most of your own vegetables i mean you make your own bread dude like you're basically invisible to, you know which is amazing yeah yeah i mean i mean from on, on that from that perspective for sure but it's for 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 us it's a it's a very personal journey more than a uh sort of look how good we're doing it kind of thing you know no and that's the thing you don't you don't like i mean i 
unless I was, unless you were curious and you were asking you about it, I mean, you wouldn't know any of these things. It's only the fact that I've been able to spend some time in your home with you guys that I, I kind of see these things. And, you know, I, I guess I, I didn't, I haven't really commented on any of that stuff while I've been there, but obviously, but I do notice those things, right. of course, but I think it's fantastic. No, I think it's fantastic. That's cool. Man. And like, and I, I, you're, you're, we're the same age, right? Like I'm 31 now. I am. <laughs> Oof. Come on, I'm, I'm 29. You're 29. I had to do some math. Math is not my strong suit. No, me neither, man. But I mean, for, for a 29 year old, like, dude, that's, there's guys and men and women I know that are like in their forties and fifties that are only now kind of realizing that, that, you know, you know, it's possible to grow some of your own food or maybe some people are learning how to hunt or some people are learning how to grow things. And I think, I think our generation are pretty lucky that in some ways we're very unlucky. You know, we've been dealt kind of a shorthand in, in a lot of ways, but in other ways, I think we're far more uh, aware of the impact that we have on on the world. And I know that you said that, you know, your your journey is a is a personal one with with you and Hannah. And of course, that's understandable. But I guess a byproduct of that is that you are actually quite uh, sustainably. You know, you're living sustainably. And I think if more of us could just do a little bit more, just to be a little bit more self sustaining or self sustainable. Uh, I think we'd be in a much better place in the world. Yeah, for sure. Like we, we're our version of of um, sustainable is, of course, not even close to someone that lives in London, for example. There are so many other challenges that we don't have to deal with whatsoever. Like uh, you're you're say you're you were mentioning that we chop all of our own wood, and that's of course like our our electricity use is very very low uh, on an average compared to any other average Swedish person. But then to be able to do that, we have a snowmobile and we have dogs and, you know, all these other things that a person that lives in an apartment in a city might not even consider having. So their sort of sustainable journey is something completely, dogs. completely different, right? So the, this is, what, what, what sustainability is, is highly personal as well. And it's hard to sort of, in my head at least, it's hard to compare what is sustainability without knowing the person's um, situation and where they are. No, absolutely. I mean, there is no comparison to, like you said, somebody living in the middle of London compared to what you guys are doing. But I think the important thing is the awareness, self-awareness and the yeah. Yeah. the intention and the intent. It's like maybe it's just that you recycle all your cans or you, you know, uh, use you reuse cardboard things or maybe you have a keep cup, you know, like a, a coffee cup that you bring around with you rather than having to get a paper cup every time you go for that, you know, you go for that like fourth or fifth coffee, you know, I know, right. I know, right. I know for me when I lived in Dublin, like that was the best thing I ever got was I got a little glass keep cup. So it's essentially, um, I don't know, maybe people are aware of these, maybe they're not, they're quite popular right now, but it's basically a reusable uh, coffee cup that is made of glass and it's got like a 
it's got like a, a cozy on it or whatever so you can hold it and uh, made of cork um like recycled cork wood and then it's got a plastic lid that you can put on the top so it's not going to spill anywhere so rather than me going into starbucks or whatever you know local coffee shop and getting them to put, give me a paper cup every time uh, i would just bring the bring the, the glass in with me and they would use it um, and it just means then that and it's kind of cool as well because you can personalize them um, you should check out uh, Keep Cup is the company. I think they're based out of New Zealand or Australia, but you can pick all different colored uh, lids and you can pick all different colored like materials and they're really cool. Um, so that's just one small thing, but like obviously it's not the same as growing your entire vegetable garden, but it's the intention. Isn't no, of course, it's the but it's, it's the, yeah, exactly. I, I, I 100% agree with that. It is the, the intention and... Uh, everyone is on their own journey to be able to do whatever they want to do in, in, in that regard. And some people might not care at all whatsoever, but then there might be a person that is doing it for five people. Exactly. You know? So it's, exactly. It, 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 there, there's, there's no right or wrong ways, maybe stretching it to say, to say it in that way, but everyone is on their own journey. Like that's, that's, that's it. What's sustainable is is completely different for for every single person. Yeah, exactly. But then you have China, who just basically <laughs> neutralizes any <laughs> any efforts. They <laughs> lose hope in the world. Uh, I grow one one potato for for China. I don't know. One potato for China. Yeah, I think that's the name of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's a good one but i think yeah just i suppose just to reel it back a little bit um just for people who are listening i am actually back in the south of sweden now um having had spent uh three months up up in the north uh in lapland as i'm sure you guys were aware i probably haven't shut up about it um but i'm back down now i'm back in back down by the canoe center uh, for the next uh, kind of couple of weeks and then i'm moving to finland so i'm actually going back north uh probably a, a halfway th- yeah almost halfway so a little a little bit a little bit more than halfway actually yeah i mean it's not it's not that far away from you guys really i mean get what is it a ferry over to lulio and then uh, what three hours by car uh you have the ferry over to Umeå, but oh, Umeå, like, sorry Outdoor Academy, where Outdoor Academy, where I went to school, is just a couple of hours north of Co- where you are. And Co- it's in Kokkola, when I drove right? there, it's just uh, no, it's in Kronoby, just yes. outside Kokkola. Yes, yes. And uh, of course, I drove down there from Kalix, where I grew up, and that's just a four-hour drive, right. something like that. So. Hopefully, once all this madness dies down, I'll be able to get over to you guys pretty easily, and just um, we can have some more. Uh, more fun in the snow or even in the in the summertime, yeah. you know. That'd be great. For sure. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I really, really uh, enjoyed meeting the people up there. That You know, I think that was the most engaging part for me, meeting you guys. And, you know, I, I think it's weird when you, when you make friends through, like, mutual hobbies or mutual interests. Hmm. I think you tend to stay stay friends with them easier than like if you just meet someone like let's say if you're just going out or you just meet a friend of a friend in a pub or you know they're just like kind of a local person if you if you bond over like a certain kind of life choice or experience i think you, you tend to like 
makes such a more meaningful connection with people. Um, I mean, you 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 cut out all the small talk. You don't yeah, need an you don't true. need an icebreaker at all. Like you you've taken that out of the equation completely. That's so true. So yeah. then you're sort of you're you're jumping in you're jumping into the uh, high fives, if you will, right away. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's so true it's so true i mean i got i you know you 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 i guess I, for for you probably like you're used to having guests that maybe are coming from the city coming from stockholm coming from wherever and maybe aren't complete like they're completely in awe in awe by the lifestyle and the world and and the from which you come from um and in some ways I am as well, of course. I mean, it's a totally alien world to me up there, but it kind of, I kind of get it. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not like I'm totally mm. up there just being like, well, this is just like a different planet. It's like, okay, I kind of see what's happening. I understand why these types of clothes are being worn. Uh, I can see why they need to eat, you know, they need to feed their dogs such amount of food because it's obviously for, you know, there's just small little things that can pop into your head that make sense to you if you're an outdoors person. Right, right. When you're up rather, but you know what I mean? And I think because of that, like you said, the small talk is cut out because I'm kind of, you're getting into like those kind of questions. It's like, so how many calories are you feeding the dog? Yeah, they probably, yeah, that makes sense. You know. And, right, like you're you're getting, you're you're sort of already in understanding of, why like the 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 why some the why we would live here is sort of understood yeah. already so you can ask the questions or you ask the questions that we would probably not necessarily get from the average person swinging by our house unless they were our friends that also have dogs yeah no even what you were saying about um i think after the last interview you were saying that people normally ask you about how you two met um, and that's like the kind of crux of the conversation where I'm just like, so tell me, tell me about like, you know, what kind of like, you know, bank line are you using? Like, what kind of, like, you know, what kind of, you know, are you using like bungee cords or what's the same? <laughs> like, a super cheap line from Tema that holds together a sled that can pull 14 dogs or that 14 dogs pulls. Like it doesn't need to be more complicated than that. No, exactly. Slightly but I suppose off topic, just of course. No, no, but just asking, you know, those questions, you know, what, yeah, it's, it was uh, such an education uh, to be up there. So, and I have a lot of you guys to thank a lot for that as well. So I appreciate the time that you guys gave me. Well, that's cool. Yeah, we appreciate having you had here. Well, what did you expect before you came up here? Like, you, of course, you were talking about, uh, or the last time, last night that you were here, we were talking about life below zero. And that was sort of your uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth here, but your idea of a, like a benchmark of what the frozen north or whatever you want to call it could be. Yes, 100%. I mean, Life Below Zero is obviously based in Alaska and maybe I'm sure people that listen to the show would know about it. If you don't, uh, it's a Discovery Channel. Um, is it, Yeah, it is Discovery Channel. It's not National Geographic. No, it's, it is Discovery Channel. Uh, it's just a document, kind of a, a real life documentary that follows the lives of um, a couple of different people that live just above or below the Arctic Circle in Canada. Alaska. Or in Alaska, yeah. sorry, not in Canada. Yeah. Um, and I remember watching that years ago and just seeing these people, you know, setting up uh, 10 TPs on the snow or taking their uh, snowmobiles or their skidoos, as they call them you know, across miles of, of lake to, to set up camp somewhere or 
guys who are really living off the land and just basically living really isolated lives. And I remember watching it and thinking, God, man, that would be unbelievable someday. Just to just even just get on a snowmobile and just be that far up north and just experience that. Um, so yeah, it, it was always a benchmark for me, and I think it was almost it's almost as though that felt. I guess at the time, almost felt like that would be like the top, top level of like what you kind of could get to if you were kind of talking about living like bushcrafty or living. Where you can achieve in life. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But the, I guess the reality of it is far less, you know, dramatic as, as they might be on, on, on the show. Of course, it's it's entertainment at the end of the day, but it definitely felt uh just as amazing and as as um challenging and as educational as i had hoped it to be so that's really cool it's really yeah, cool it was, to hear it was it was it was great man it was what's the sort of um uh life below zero uh exposure i guess was that sort of the the premises the premise that you came up with or did you do a lot of other research before you came up here to sort of be better prepared and well did did you meet that did any of, any of the stuff that you read, did that meet sort of the reality of being up here? I'd like to tell you that I did a lot of research, but I really didn't. <laughs> it was kind of just like, <laughs> <laughs> let's just see how this goes. Um, and I guess there was never any pressure on me in the sense that um, I was volunteering up there. So I wasn't necessarily like contractually obliged to stay there for any amount of time. Right. So it was like, well, if I hate it after a month, I can always leave. You know, if I hate it after a week, I can leave. But I didn't want to. I was I, I loved every minute of it, um, for the mm. most part. I mean, obviously there was times where you had to be working or you had to be doing the boring shit, but uh, but that's life, isn't it? Yeah, of course, of course. It happens no matter where you are in the world, I guess. Yeah. But I think what I would love is at some point now I know you guys aren't uh, aren't working with volunteers next year, or you said that you're probably not gonna be accepting volunteers, but it would be cool at some point to spend a significant amount of time with you guys and really learn the ropes with the dogs that would be for me like a real sense of accomplishment for myself or a benchmark wherein I could comfortably understand how to run a pack of dogs and spend a time a period of time outside understanding how to look after them and you know all, like that would be for me the next sort of uh level of skill that I would hope to achieve at some point in time. Well, I mean, that that's that's probably the uh, given the situation of the world. That's probably the easiest thing to solve an extended period yeah. of time to stay and learn more about driving dogs and things like that. That's 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 quite an easy thing to uh, work out how to put it together. At least for us. I right. mean, we have the guest cab. And we have an extra spare bedroom and we have a lot of work to do <laughs> yeah yeah right yeah but what did you was it was there like any uh idea that you had in your head like all right this this is how it's gonna be uh whether it was like in it's gonna be tricky to use tools or type of like clothing or equipment that you had that you were like this is gonna be the absolute like i'm on point with this and then you're like all right that's not at all as advertised or as I thought. <laughs> um, I guess, I mean, if I'm honest, I was really 
not nervous, but I guess one thing that I, I felt as though might trip me up was the cold. Um, mm. I'm not a big guy. I don't have a lot of body fat on me. I get, I, I get warm easily, but I also get cold easily if I stop moving. Um, you're like a cast iron stove. I'm like a cast iron stove. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe not as heavy, but, um, uh, titanium then. Yeah. Titanium. That's what I am. a titanium stove. But, um, <laughs> that was, that was one of the things that, uh, kind of, I was the most apprehensive about. It's like, man, I don't know what it's going to be like to be in minus 30. Am I going to absolutely hate this and just like not be able to function? Um, and I think I probably overprepared because of that, uh, carrying mm. like fuck ton of layers. Um, now saying that I was still cold most of the time. Um, but <laughs> I was, I was comfortable though. You know, I wasn't like, I wasn't, it wasn't putting me out of action. Uh, right. And I, th- I, th- I think that's, that's a great way of, um, putting it, I guess, that you were comfortable, but you were still cold. Cause that when you're outside in winter, that you're all, you're more or less always going to reach that point, no matter what idea you have and what type of clothing you have is that you're going to be uncomfortable, like minus 20 and below it's uncomfortable. Nothing is comfortable. No. So uh, nothing is warm. So you're just extending the period from where you're comfortable until you're uncomfortable till you're super cold until you're an ice pick. So you have that sort of time frame to work with. And so it's it's nice to hear to say that you were cold but comfortable. In my head, that sort of sounds like, all right, you have an understanding of cold because it is uncomfortable, but you can still be comfortable with the uncomfortable oh totally and i think it's kind of like a mindset as well you just kind of accept it Mm -hmm. it's like there's always going to be something that's cold whether it's you know the side of your leg or if there's a draft coming in somewhere or if it's on your back when you're on the snowmobile or something or other but you can almost always mitigate it and just like adjust for that and you know okay i've got a cold spot here let me just put on an extra pair of socks or you know, okay, this, like my glove, my glove, my right hand is getting cold. My left hand's okay. So let me switch them. You know, just, Mm -hmm. I think you're always able to offset it in some way, shape or form, but it's, it's definitely not pleasant. Um, and it it is, like you say, like it's a lot of a mental exercise as well. Like I have a really good example from one guest that we had, hopefully they don't listen to this podcast, but, um, they came with clothes already that they had gotten from another place. Okay. And we have the same types of shoes. And uh, this person was said that they were cold already. Right. Before um, you had left. So then I, before we had left. So I went and got the exact same pair of boots, same size and everything. And told this person to put on these boots instead because they are warmer. Okay. And no complaints at all during the whole trip. So wow. it, is, it is this also like perceived idea of or perceived idea. Cold is cold. Like you can't argue with that. But people's attitude towards being cold is very much an idea of um, perceiving what is it called? The temperatures around you and understanding your body's reaction to the temperature around you and what you're going to what you're going to do or what you're about to do. For sure. And so I think by just giving uh, the exact same type of boots, same size and everything, 
this person was able to enjoy the tour instead of worrying and thinking that they were going to get cold and thinking that they were cold. They got the exact same type of pair of boots, just a different nuance in the color. Right. But that that set them off fine. That's amazing, man. It's just, it's that's a real sort of, um, what do they call it? Uh, uh, a placebo effect. Oh, yeah, there's there's a lot. Because with, with a lot of the stuff that you do or that we do, with driving out, being out with the dogs, especially when we're taking guests out and things like that, is that we're we're playing it very safe. Like our tours are not that long. Uh, we're playing it very safe with the trails. We're playing it very safe with the capability of the dogs and capability of us and the capability of the guests. So we're not necessarily extending out to this period where they are going from being a little bit uncomfortable because it's cold to there being ice picks. We're never going that far we're going to stay within the framework of being a little bit uncomfortable because it's cold so we need to find a way to talk to the guests how to be uncomfortable how to be comfortable with the new feeling of cold yes so it's 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 a lot of the sort of mental volleyball if you will of uh, trying to talk talk to the person and getting them to understand that everything is okay the clothing is fine, everything is fine, without like sounding like you're just telling them how they should feel. Yeah, yeah, no, that's important that, you know, you do understand what what they're going through. And I think that kind of goes for all aspects of even camping, even just in very mild climates. If I love bringing out new people, like whether it's friends who have never camped mm-hmm. before or I camped with my dad and my little brother a couple of summers ago. And like my dad was obviously um, concerned about Sean my little brother he was seven at the time six or seven at the time and for I don't know maybe the first like the two weeks leading up to us got like it was a very simple no fuss overnighter there was no uh you know crazy hikes or anything to be done there was like a, basically a 20 minute walk from the car blah 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 I knew the area we were going to um, and I knew that they'd be safe and they'd be warm and I knew that I had the equipment and the the clothing and the sleeping bags and the shelters that they would need to stay warm in i don't know i want to say it was maybe september something something around that time um and i remember my dad like messaging me even like two three four days before just like constantly checking the weather like kind of being like oh what happens if it's raining like do we should we still go and and then like the day we woke up it was like kind of miserable and and he was like, should we still go? I was like, yes, we'll be fine. Trust me. Like, it's mm. all, it's going to be okay. Um, And we went out and I set up like a proper like tree by tree tarp over the camp. And I had my own like lightweight uh, tarp and hammock set up for myself. And, you know, I had them a nice cozy shelter, blah, 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 big fire. And my dad was even saying like, oh, well, what's ha- what happens if it's raining? Like, you're, you know, how are we going to light a fire? And it's like, dad, do you think what do you think I do when it's raining? Like, do I just, I don't just curl up into a ball and give up. It's, there's many, many ways, you know, we can split wood. The wood's always going to be dry in the center. Blah, blah, blah. It took mm-hmm. so much, so much convincing that we were going to be okay. But then it was fine. The weather wasn't as bad as it was uh, forecast to be. Sean slept like a baby. He literally is a baby, but he slept like, like a, like a small child. My dad was fine, you know, and he messaged me afterwards when they got home. He was like, you know, glad we did it. And, you know, you were right. It was fine. It was nothing to worry about and stuff. And for me, I, I just love that feeling when somebody um, 
is kind of apprehensive or nervous or thinks they're going to be cold or thinks they're going to be wet and stuff and you're able to provide a safe environment for them to enjoy being outside where they feel like they're in trusted hands and that you know you you know what you're doing um that you're, so you're taking them out of their comfort zone so it's neat yes also find the balance of being super humble towards what they are experiencing but also being able to convey that it's it's safe like it's a safe space exactly it's a and tricky one no it is fine when, when when you're yeah. able to yeah exactly and i think if you if they do have a shitty experience they're never going to want to do it again and you know we, right. we're, all, we're all short on camping buddies so it's like you know <laughs> you get as many people as you can outside that really like you know come home feeling like wow like we really achieved something or you know we really accomplished something that we thought we couldn't do and you know even my, even my girlfriend like was in the canoe with me last summer here and you know she was awesome like she just fucking got on with it, it was actually quite a windy day we went camping she was she was apprehensive about being cold as well and you know it was all brilliant and now you know if i said that to her again like do you want to go camping she'd be far more likely to be like yeah fuck it like i was fine the first time right right it's funny with it's funny with cold on how uh how much that is a um, deciding factor it's understandable of course like it, it's it's a it's a deciding factor but it's also like a uh, step to get over like it's it's a, it's right. like a big it seems for a lot of people like it's a big um what is it called it's a big obstacle like a big big hurdle yeah right um but it's it's super it's super interesting. Like I obviously love the cold, like being being grown up here and and living still here in this area. I appreciate the cold so much. I still don't like it in uh, in too much an extensive way. I like what it brings, the cold. Right. But I don't like minus thirty. It's it's not fun. It's fun for the uh, short time before you get really cold. Then it's a nice, cool experience. But after that, like cold is cold. That's just how it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess you you really do have to just embrace it, don't you? I mean, you've you've spent your whole life living up there. Yeah, yeah. It's just embrace it, live it, and uh, I was gonna say don't complain, but complain. <laughs> it's it's that's a part of it. <laughs> you you got to complain about it while you're having to shovel your driveway for the like fifteenth time that month. But now, yeah, but that, that's that's just a pleasure right now, having to do it with a quad instead of uh, by hand. Right. It's right. just putting on a podcast and driving around looking like a little old, old, old man. That's fun. It's like, mo- it's like mowing the lawn. <laughs> it, that's definitely the winter Arctic version of mowing the lawn. 100%. <laughs> that's a perfect analogy. Like, it's definitely like mowing the lawn. Oh, that's brilliant. And really dad, po- dad, dad points. Yeah, yeah, you got to do it in shorts, you know, it's like, you know, the, like those da- those dads that wear shorts like 12 months of the year, it's like, dad, yeah. it's fu- fucking November, like, why are you wearing your cargo pants? <laughs> Next winter, I'll get a photo for you. Sweet, sweet, I want that. I'll get a poster, I'll get a poster of it. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, did you have like a, uh, for lack of a better term, like an aha moment of being up here, like something has clicked in what you had seen on life below zero kind of thing um that's a good question i don't know um i kind of just 
I kind of like before I realized it, I was already there like two months and just was getting used to it. And you do really just get used to it. I mean, I was as like talking about shoveling snow. I was out one of the days just in my jeans and like I think I was wearing like maybe a fleece. I don't know. I can't remember. But it was cold as fuck. And mm. I was just like out shoveling snow, like no problem. Just not not even thinking about it. And then it was only afterwards it clicked to me. It was like kind of getting used to this vibe. Like, you know, it's. And and it's a nice feeling, you know, when you kind of like, you really feel like, and I think another element is that the community aspect of up there, that was something that I had seen again on like Life Below Zero. When you're, when you're in such a small place with such extreme conditions, people really seem to look after each other and look out for each other. Um, and there's a real sense of community, whether that's, you know, a lot of people like having meals together or you know, help helping friends out or, you know, mm. dropping over some extra meat or dropping over a spare tire or whatever it is. Um, I think there's a, there's a unique element to what you guys have up there wherein everybody's looking out for each other. And that was something that I kind of expected based on, like you said, like seeing Life Below Zero and stuff. And it is the case. It is the case. And, and, and it makes for because it's a, I am, it's a very lonely place to be like it's cold it's dark in the winter it's 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 you know you're isolated somewhat from the world and you kind of only you're depending on like maybe the 40 or 50 people in in your immediate circle whether that's in your community or whether that's you know if you've that's got that's a lot of people yeah well you know i'm talking <laughs> i'm talking like an entire village you know obviously you're not friends with 40 people but you you know what i mean i mean i must i mean i'm sure i've met up there at least 30 people, you know, like, yeah, 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 for sure. For 30, like unique individuals. Yeah. Like you guys and your friends and yeah, yeah. people that I work with at Aurora Safari Camp and, you know, uh, Brita and, you know, there's friends of the family and stuff. And you kind of start to of know course. everybody after just a couple of months, you know, I really like that. Yeah, that, That's, that's, uh, I, I really like that as well. It's always a sort of a, very homey type of feeling even if you're not home and you're out somewhere in the village or out on a trail and you see someone that that you know you stop and talk to them it's quite yeah. nice yeah for sure and i think it's again it's just something that i noticed between you and hannah and, and probably because you work together as well and you're running a, a company together there's like a real i mean you guys seem super close like you know like cl more than i i've experienced with with like partners or husbands and wives in just normal you know city living and stuff because i guess you kind of have to rely on each other so much more than someone who has like a big circle of friends they go drinking with at the weekends or you know lots of work colleagues or you know someone that works in an office and their husband also works in an office and they have their own set of circles of friends and you know they don't necessarily right. cross over so often um, but with you guys, obviously, you, like you clearly need to depend on each other far more than, I guess, somebody in that sort of environment would, and that's really cool to see as well. Like it's it's very nice to, it's refreshing, particularly at of people my age that are like that because we're so, you know, I mean, it's there's a constant barrage of window shopping available to people these days when it comes to Instagram or Facebook or whatever, and I think it's it can be difficult to sustain not just like relationships with partners, but even friendships, you know? Right. 
So I mean, I mean, it's a it's a blessing and a curse, of course. Like it's uh, it's it's a lot of fun, but it's also it's it, it it always takes time. There's always stuff to work on, like in uh, in the regards of how we're working together and everything, because it, it is our business is our life and our life is our business. That sounds super like business oriented, but it's sort of merging. Of course, our yeah, of we course. run tours with the dogs, and I work with nature restoration in the summers and falls. Yeah. So everything is intertwined, but we need to work with each other in a both a professional sense and a relationship based sense, and right. that that is um, it doesn't come without um, battle scars. Is I guess is is too too uh, strong of a term to use, but it. We're definitely constantly evaluating on how we're doing things together to make sure that we're, it is a sustainable thing for both of us to do. There's probably like, I mean, it's obviously not all, you know, rose tinted glasses the whole time. But, you know, is what what's the, I suppose, what's the main challenge of that? Like, it, is it hard to separate your, does it get, I mean... I don't even know what I'm asking, really, um, <laughs> what the question is. but I mean, it is mer merging um, work and life and, and the, our relationship is just it's just one big merge of everything. It's just one big blob of life and dogs and two cats and whatnot, everything else. So it's we, we're not necessarily separating uh, work and business in that way and one big thing is because we have dogs like we are we yeah they're constantly there and we're not we we don't have dogs to do tourism we do tourism because we have dogs and it's a reasonable uh thing to do to go plus minus zero on their food cost at least so it is we are privately and emotionally and all the different things invested in the dogs. So the dogs are what we do, whether it's business or whether it's private. Like you can't take away the emotions from working with animals, thinking that it's a business-related, what's it called, approach that you need to have. It's all it's all very, very emotional and very personal. So we're we sort of, I don't know if that's a luxury or if it's a curse, but that's probably sort of a bit how of we're... Both approaching it yeah i guess so it, it is it is very much like it's the same so that's how our relationship and uh, business relationship is it's we're working with living animals so we have to we, we've we've created our relationship around that business relationship yeah yeah and you guys met through dogs so it's kind of yeah, that's right. That was uh, yeah, exactly. I was working at it as a snowmobile guide at the same place as Hannah was working as a dog musher. Uh -huh. so. And then uh, we got dogs together. <laughs> <laughs> that's a commitment. I mean, they say like, uh, you know, the first step with a, with a couple is like they get a dog and then it's just basically like a proxy for a kid where you guys just kept going with the dogs. <laughs> Yeah, I really hope that uh, there's no correlation between the amount of dogs and kids. Oh God, that would be uh, that, that would be that would be horrible. I think I think you'd need a bigger vegetable garden. Probably, I mean, we have the land to to create that, but I I think the vegetable garden is the least of our problems. Then. <laughs> 
one of those old school fucking farm families, you know, it's like, well, if we have 22, at least 15 of them are going to die of the plague. So, you know, yeah, you know, if we're, lucky, if we're lucky, I'll have an heir. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A uh, whole different, whole different time, I guess. A whole different time. It's crazy, man. But, um, but you, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the, um, just to kind of change gears a little bit, I suppose, but the, the, uh, Finnish, uh, Outdoor Academy, uh, is it, right. it's a Nordic, uh, no, not Nordic Outdoor Academy. It's the, it's just called the Outdoor Academy, right? It's, yeah, exactly. It's just called the Outdoor Academy. Yeah. I found, I found them through Eric's, is it Soli is his second name? I don't want to, um, Soulier, I think it is, but I don't. Yeah. I don't want to hundred percent commit to how his last name is pronounced. Right, right. But for people who don't know, Eric uh, is a really cool photographer. Um, I found him on Instagram. He shoots. We got. We bonded over. I think he had just began to start shooting analog thirty-five millimeter uh, film. And he was just asking me about some stuff and his digital stuff is really beautiful as well. So we just kind of connected over that. And then I saw he had his really nice portrait. I think it was of one, maybe one of the instructors uh, for the Finnish uh, Outdoor Academy. And I found them through that. And then I was only when I was with you that you told me that um, you had actually completed that course. Yeah. Um, and I and he was I, in I the would... year below me, Eric. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay, so he's done it as well. Yeah, exactly. Very cool. So it's what is it? Two years. It is two years if you want to have the mountain leader um, certificate and the wilderness guide certificate. Other than that, you can you can do it. You can just take a gap year and do year number one, where you're sort of just emerging, immersing yourself in the different activities and different skills that are relevant and then the second year you're going a lot more into sort of the mind of a customer and the mind of being outside and how to work with a group and how to talk to people in different situations and how to work with people it's a lot more people focused the second year even if though you're still doing all of the things and then some that you did the first year but you're much more like working towards the sort of guiding aspect of it all and learning how to work with people. Okay, so the the kind of main course uh, kind of uh, goal is to uh, create commercially employable uh, guides for like tourist tourism or or things like that. Or yeah, if you if you're doing the the. Both, both of the years, that's sort of what the goal is, I guess. Uh, I, I, I can't quote their mission statement in that way, but no, no, it is but a... I suppose your, your understanding a, of it, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. It is, they are putting, they're giving the absolute best education to uh, make sure that whoever finishes it and, and completes it is an able person to take out people in in a variety of different conditions and places all over the world. Right. That sounds super cool. And it's, it's obviously up in, up in a pretty cold part. It's pretty far north in Finland. So it's, it's, I'm, I'm imagining it gets pretty goddamn cold up in, uh, Kiruna. Actually, the, 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 the school is, uh, in Kronoby and that's just in the same height as, as Umeå. So it's quite like it's in the, 
middle part of Finland almost. Right. But that's where the sort of school base is. But then uh, because that area doesn't necessarily have mountains, doesn't have any mountains at all, it doesn't have proper winters in the same term as in northern Sweden or northern northern Finland either, uh, we travel a lot. Okay. Well, we did travel a lot during when when I went to school there, so we spent a lot of time in the Swedish mountains. One of the teachers was from a small, small village just um, in the Swedish mountains, so we spent a lot of time there. Mm-hmm. Uh, spent a lot of time in northern Norway, some, some time in northern Finland. So it was a lot of, like, on the road to get to, uh, for lack of a better term, like, real areas i'm doing quotation marks here so that you're not right, just right. learning everything is in in theory you're actually standing on that multi on the top of the multi-pitch climb in northern norway and you're sort of looking out and figuring out all right how would i do this with a customer or guest and then you're being able to have a conversation around that okay and, and is how much of it is is how much of it is like classroom based versus like trails or, or actual I, I can't imagine anything has changed necessarily but it was not that much uh, sitting around in a classroom kind of thing at all it was mostly being out in the field sleeping in tent um, yeah, ski mountaineering skiing climbing, kayaking, canoeing hiking, whatever it was just to act absolutely fill your time with actual dirt time and then going over the different details and nuances of how it is to be the person that's in a leading position and a leading role because one of the one of the criteria to become a mountain leader is that you need to have x amount of days in winter conditions x amount of days in summer conditions x amount of like or a a um, certain level of navigation skills a certain level of you know x y and z skills like avalanche training and things like that so there's a lot of that goes into it that you can't you can, you can never reach that if you would be in a classroom setting so they really nail it in with with full-on being outside that's really cool i mean when i found it i couldn't believe that it existed it's it's literally what i've been looking for for like years you know there's there's individual courses you can take in Ireland, whether it's your mountaineering, mountaineering or first aid and kayaking or canoeing or whatever. But like when I found that there was an actual school that concentrated for a full year or two years really on this stuff is just so fucking cool. Um, it's not cheap, obviously, but it I, is. A- but I would. God damn it. I would love to do it. I'd love to actually get someone on the podcast who is. Um, maybe works on the inside there just to really get a sense of, of what it is that they're uh, kind of trying to achieve and, and things because it's it's a pretty unique place and I, I think more people should know about it. It is it is a fantastic place. Like I can't, I, I, I do not regret a second that I spent there. Like it's, I mentioned in the other podcast, I think with uh, the opportunities that it, that it gives you, like it, as I've understood it from, employers and things like that around Scandinavia and in Iceland and in yeah, different parts that the the school has quite a good reputation of, of putting out good guides, good quality guides so that it is sort of a benchmark of like this person has completed all of this within the framework of Outdoor Academy and so 
that you ha- you have a minimum level of what this person is able to do. Right. So the proficiency levels of the of what they're outputting is quite high. Oh, yeah, that that's how I how I've understood it. Like I, I from yeah, talking to people that are still working with within this sort of uh, seasonal based guiding industry and seeing uh, different ads and seeing what people are looking for. And it's yeah, the Outdoor Academy is a fantastic sort of stepping stone. As I was, I think I mentioned it either to you or in the last podcast, and I chose to go there because I wanted to have a good base to fall back on like i was working when i decided to uh, go start outdoor academy i was actually working as a diving guide in tenerife during one winter the one and only winter that i have not been uh in proper real winter and it was miserable right so i wanted to <laughs> you hated it did you <laughs> no i i, I love i love guy uh, diving it, it's it's amazing but it's a Christmas without snow, like that's that's not that's that's not real. It's not real. Well, you should no. maybe you probably shouldn't go to Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, so I, that, then and there I sort of decided that I wanted to do guiding. Like I really liked working with people, but I I really enjoyed the sort of framework that uh, Paddy, the diving organization that I did my qualifications through the sort of framework that they were working within of a very structural way of teaching people, uh, very structural way of teaching you as a guide and things like that. So I was start- I started to look at something similar in Sweden that I could do or in Finland or wherever it was because I wanted to have something to fall back on and like I've done this so that I know, me personally know that I can hold myself accountable for actually knowing all of these things that are important to know. Because figuring out what's important to know in the context of being out in the mountains is like it might it might be super easy for some people, but it also it's if you're gonna take out people and and people are gonna pay you, there is a lot of things that you might not think about the first time. But if you have the experience from others and you have a certain proficiency level in you already, you know that you're at least like I'm good. So I sort of I sort of wanted to have that before I dove deeper into anything else. So that's that's how I ended up there. That's so cool, man. You're a very unassuming person for someone who is clearly like extremely skilled in, in a lot of things. I mean, you've got your mountain leader pass, your 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 what qualified diving instructor, you run you've got a dog team, you're uh you probably got your climbing you probably got climbing as well, have you? Uh yeah, it's I think it's called like a assistant instructor. Climber, climbing thing. Okay. I can't. I can't remember the actual what is it called the terminology <laughs> for what it is. I haven't been climbing in in uh, a shameful amount of years. Right, right. But you, I mean, I've never done it once, so you've got that on me. But uh, <laughs> but no, that's that's super cool, man. Like, it's awesome to see uh, kind of where you've ended up, and I, I guess. I didn't know any of this before I met met you, you know, that you that you had, you know, all of these different qualifications and stuff. And do you ever feel as though I know you obviously love what you do with the dogs and stuff. Is there is there ever a point where you're just like, I'd love to go back to doing mountain leadering again or I'd love to do some more diving or is there is there would you ever think about taking a uh, 
I guess you can't really, can you? Because you're kind of committed to the dogs. But like, is there any anything that you would love to just like maybe do again for like a season or, you know, uh, even like six six months or something? It's a very good question, and it's something Han and I talk about every now and then. With the, uh, the, the the like we we have the dogs, we would not sell the dogs. We like if if we ever quit dogs, it would be that we're sort of their lifespan is of course shorter than ours. Um, of course. But just as anything else, like just because we're doing this right now doesn't mean that we're going to end up doing this for the rest of our lives. If it is that we're end up, if if it is that we're running dogs for the rest of our lives, that's probably happy days for us. Right. But if it is that we're like, all right, this is unsustainable, we can't do it anymore for physical or mental reasons or whatever it might be, and and uh, they're sort of, you know, th- th- that that time is over, like, nothing is, nothing has to be forever. And of that's course. sort of my mindset and our mindset that we talk about. It's like if we, when we are older, that we decide like, all right, the dogs have sort of been slowly phased out because, of, yeah, I said their lifespan is shorter than ours, and we're like, nope, we want to move to, I don't know, southern Spain. Why right. not? Yeah, like it is the. Uh, so we're, we're we're not physically we're set in place where we are, but mentally we're sort of not necessarily dreaming of the next thing, but we understand that nothing needs to be forever in that regard. So I don't I don't necessarily miss or think that I'm, oh man, it would be nice to go back to do more mountain leader things or it would be nice to be skiing more again and or diving more again. It's I'm extremely happy with what we're doing now because what we're doing now, living on the homestead and things like that, it gives me opportunities that, that I would never have if i was working seasonally it would right. be impossible yeah like I, I can't i can't tote around my guns if i work six months here six months there now i have a place where i can go out hunting right out of the door and all of those things that is extremely luxurious so there, there's a lot of things that constantly uh, equalizes is that a good term for it? Equalizes sure. everything. Sure. Yeah. So there's no, no. I mean, I'm, there's yeah. no longing for anything, but there's also an understanding of that nothing needs to be forever. If that makes sense. Right. And I suppose it, there is there is a different sense uh, in the way in which you guys live that I guess is something that you don't really realize until you actually live it. And obviously, I haven't really, but. Um, it kind of reminds me of when I was speaking to, I don't know if you remember the episode that we did with Emmett Van Dyke. He's a, a spoon carver. He's based out of Connecticut and um, where you're, where your uh, lady's from actually. Yeah, that's where Tana's from. Yeah. 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 Uh, or is it Connecticut or Massachusetts? Are they, no, they're not near each other, are they? My American geography's terrible. I... Yeah, I'm. I'm not. I'm not gonna say yes or no, but I think they might, on the other side. I think they might be close, but I think it's either Connecticut or Massachusetts. So people are screaming at me here if it's the same place or not. But <laughs> anyway, my point. My point is, it's all the same. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, it's not. I'm sorry, Americans. No, no. I love you. Um, <laughs> but he was talking about how I mean they run. They own a Christmas tree farm, 
Um, so they're har- right. harvest, yeah. harvesting Christmas trees from, let's say, like October almost, even like September, October, November, um, all the way up to Christmas time. And then obviously they have to replant. But then in the summer months, he's uh, carving spoons and he can like literally like logistically work it out it's like okay if i carve 10 spoons today that's like 200 dollars in the bank and he's like super honest with like how mm. how his money uh kind of accumulates and it's actually really refreshing to see that and he's super generous with his um sharing his lifestyle and how how they make it work um and actually he's got a an audiobook and if anybody is interested in listening to it, i recommend you check it out i believe it's on audible and he reads it himself um it's a really nice read uh i can't remember what it's called now i think it's something like life on a christmas tree farm or something like that but if you go back and listen to the emmett van dyke episode you'll find it but anyway my point was that uh he i don't think he ever gets bored because there's always a new thing that needs to be kind of thought about in the next month or two months as opposed to someone who works in an office or works in you know, a nine to five where like essentially your job is the same no matter what day of the year it is. And that obviously is not how the human brain is like designed to work. Uh, I guess we are, you know, evolutionarily speaking, we're designed to work with the seasons and to have different priorities based on what time of the year it is. And I suppose in some ways, it's probably extremely fulfilling to allow your, like, I guess your biology or our natural kind of inclinations to actually just listen to that and to be able to work seasonally. And yeah, I I, I would assume that that's a very uh, rewarding process. It is very rewarding. It is very satisfying to have the sort of, yearly um i mean it, it's it's up and downs through the year of course depending on what you're doing but it's up here everything like as soon as winter stops you start preparing for next winter because everything is about surviving next winter if you want to put it like very 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 uh bluntly and from yeah like you're already ch- chopping next year's wood basically or the year the year after as you were telling me yeah. that like you want to have you're basically chopping for the year ne- the following year you should already have last year's stock ready to go right and then the food and then everything else is to be able to um survive like of course that's that's in in older terms like i said earlier like we can go and buy a bag of carrots and that's that's okay but it, it's lo- looking at it from a very sort of direct perspective i guess it is living with the seasons it is to make sure that winter that you're okay during the winter that you don't have to stress about food that you that you have enough food that you have enough meat in the freezer that you have enough all the things that you need to have enough of to be able to sustain yourself during winter without having to sort of slowly freezing to death yeah, so that, right. that's sort of or, st- or starving to death. Yeah, and and it, it it is it is an extremely satisfying thing, but I mean it it can definitely get boring. I, it it is it we we are humans just as, just as just as anyone else, and just because we have a lot of things that we need to do, doesn't mean that all of them are fun. Right, chopping down trees for firewood is a lot of fun. Right, <laughs> but when you need. 
when you need a lot of them, it becomes a lot of the same. Right. Day in, day out, the same. Day in, day out, the same. It's it, it, it's it's very satisfying, but it's also like it gets monotonous. Is that the word? Y- yes. Yeah. 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 So it it can definitely get boring, but right. then it's also very rewarding and satisfying. So boring is not always like that. It needs to be a bad thing either. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the things that John Hudson said to us when I think he talks about it in his book as well that the 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 the, the very real sort of physical. Uh, representation of your efforts can be seen like your brain will reward you for that you know right you see right. a big you see a big stack of wood that's ready to heat you and your brain like gives you happy happy uh happy genes or, or you know happy chemicals to say good job you know so i guess i know what you're saying i can imagine that that stuff would get boring but ah, man yeah i mean it's it's not, not you know the grass is always greener i guess isn't it Right, of course, of course, and it, it's it 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 is um it it is very like so, sometimes it is one of these things that it's so satisfying. It's it feels like it's such a glamorous, unique thing, but then you're like, oh, is it really? You're standing here, you're putting yourself through half misery to be able to do something that you've created in your own head. Right. That's not necessarily relevant to the modern world, if 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 you will. Right. You don't need to do this. So you're sort of suffering for your own ego or what? Do you think that's what but it then is? But then that's sort of not not necessarily. It it's it's just that's one of those things that comes into your head and then it sort of disappears again. Right. But it's it's a good sort of for me at least it's a good little bit of like a reality check of we don't need to do this. There's nothing in this world that says that we need to do it. Mm-hmm. But it is very satisfying to do it because it is this like working with your body, being outside, doing labor that is giving you something, not just once, but multiple times throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Same thing with, with hunting, for example. It gives you a lot of enjoyment, but it gives you a huge amount of meals. Right. So it's not just this one thing. There's not just this one satisfying thing that you're doing. Same thing with planting. It's not just this one satisfying thing that you're doing, and then you sort of that then that slowly fade away. It's you're doing it, and then in a few months you'll be able to reap the rewards from it, or you're right. getting the moose, for example, and then throughout the winter and almost a year after, depending on the rest of your freezer sort of space what it's filled with you're still being able to reap the rewards of it so it's this so the the what i mean is that that sort of idea that comes into the head of it's like it's just suffering for whose sake it goes out when you understand that that little suffering is something that you can reap the rewards rewards of for a full year so it's not just this day-to-day reward or end-of-the-month reward kind of thing. It's a reward that you'll be able to reap in within a year. Right, you're not just working for that paycheck at the end of the month. No, although that would be quite nice to, be able <laughs> to have that as well. <laughs> That's the downside, yeah. I guess. It's, well, I guess, yeah. So it's, a lot, it's a lot of work for no paycheck in the, mo- in the end right. of the month. 
Right. Yeah. That's an interesting way of looking at it. I suppose. Yeah. Again, like the grass is always greener. I mean, I always, I do romanticize about like what it would feel like to kind of live the way you guys do, but I do like having a paycheck at the end of the month at the same time, you know, Yeah. for yeah. sure, for sure. But it is, it is, uh, it is also a luxury for sure. Yeah, absolutely. But Jeremy, it's been really fun to talk to you. I think, um, I think we should do these more often. I th- I mean, let's see if people enjoy it. Hopefully they do, but it would be, be nice to kind of chat with you more often if we, if you're up for that at some point. For sure. It would be a lot of fun. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I think, uh, I think it could be a, a nice way to, to balance out me talking to guests and then just talking by myself. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm happy to, uh, I'm happy to, uh, talk to you more about, whatever it might be it could be i don't know highs and lows bushcraft not bushcraft what is life what is life yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) no no, i'm I'm not gonna sing whatsoever that's 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 your job (laughs) i'll do the i'll do the awkward silence yeah i know that's fine i mean every now and again you need to you need to raise that weird flag you know yeah yeah you know, let your let your weird flag fly that's what i say i'm happy th- i'm happy that i have dogs that i can let my weird flag fly around them <laughs> instead of having to do it out at a bar or something like that they yeah, can see me dance uh, as much as they want they won't tell anyone they won't tell anybody no it's no. probably good co- co- good company to get drunk in yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh you're you enjoy your evening and uh say hello yeah, to you hannah for me i will and um yeah we'll talk really soon man cool all right have a good evening take care bye well guys thanks for tuning in this week um sorry the episodes have been so sporadic lately i'm hoping to get them back up on uh, back on track pretty soon Um, and i'm queuing up some interesting people to talk to over skype over the next kind of couple of months um some photographers some survival instructors we got we got lots of people coming up uh but next week uh we're going to do something a bit more fun uh just to kind of break the ice for a while we're going to look at some movies or more specifically outdoors or survival movies uh Jeremias and i have watched a couple and we've taken notes and we're going to compare those and talk about some uh, some stuff that looks good, some stuff that didn't look so good uh, in these movies and, you know, maybe what things that we would do differently. So stick around for that next week. It should be a bit of fun. Um, but yeah, take care and have a good week, guys. Bye bye.